I think it's eleven dollars. It might be thirteen. I, but anyway, it is one hundred percent worth whatever mm-hmm. it is. It is a little tray, a uh, little like skillet actually of ground up graham crackers topped yeah. topped with melted chocolate, topped with um, heated up marshmallows. Mallow. And yeah. it's like billowing over the edges. Yeah. And then you you were given extra graham crackers to like dive in as if they were nachos. Right. So you grab your graham cracker, you dive in through the marshmallow into the melted chocolate and you bring it out and you basically treat it like I said like nachos. Best dessert I've had in my entire life. Dylan, we're we're back in in New York. We're back, baby. We spent a lot of time not in New York recently, but we're back in New York. We're living the jupe life, man. Jupe life. We had a little bit of uh, jupe time life on tour with the fellas. Um, jupe life means Jupiter life. We were down in Jupiter, Florida, for large majority of last week. So let's let's kind of take a step back here. Jupiter, Florida, is golf's international capital of the world essentially are you dubbing it that oh yeah i have already dubbed it this you look at the best players in the world i'm not sure exactly what percentage it is but it's dozens and dozens and dozens well, didn't of guys you, didn't you do a deep dive on this yeah and at the time that i wrote this this was last year i believe there were 72 players living in that general area that had pga tour status um that number i think is only going up but that includes really? people like tiger woods Rory McIlroy, Brooks Kepka, Dustin Johnson, JT, Rick, Jack yada, Nicholas, yada, yada. Justin Thomas. Basically, the biggest names in golf are all based at least part-time in the Jupiter area. Michael Jordan. And Michael Jordan. <laughs> yep. Donald Trump, another famous golfer. Yeah. Um, and Jupiter essentially means, you know, anything in that stretch. Jupiter itself is just a small enclave suburb of West Palm Beach, but you know, Palm Beach Gardens, parts of West Palm Beach, uh, all the way up to like Palm City. Um, it's just, is, I mean, isn't it technically like right between Orlando and Miami? Yeah, it's... Uh, I suppose if you're listening to this podcast and you don't know where Jupiter is... Just check it out. <laughs> do a little more research. Um, but we're going to break down Jupe Life for you, starting with the Bears Club, because we fly in on Monday night. And we go to the Bears Club. What brought us to the Bears Club, Sean? Yeah, uh no spoiler alert here, really. Brooks Kepka is the player of the year for Golf Magazine. So we had a big photo shoot uh, and some time spent with, with Brooks Kepka. But we're at the Bears Club first and foremost. And one thing for those who don't go there, who've never been there, which is probably a lot of you, the Bears Club, shockingly close to for me to Trump National. I mean, it's not just close. It's, they share a driveway. Yeah. <laughs> they People have talked about the relationship between Trump and a lot of PGA Tour players and Jack Nicklaus, I think, has all, pretty much always been a very a vocal Trump, Trump supporter. Totally. Um, but, you know, their close relationship makes a little sense when you realize that uh, Trump Jupiter is literally on top of the Bears Club. And yeah. this is it's another of one of these weird Florida golf distinctions we have to make. Trump National Jupiter is not where Trump plays most of his golf not in connection to Mar-a-Lago. That is actually Trump international which is connected to palm beach the two are probably i don't know 40 minutes apart see these are the things that if you don't pay like granular attention to you wouldn't know but the driveway forks into two and goes left and there's a a sign for trump's course goes right to the bears club Mm -hmm. so that's the first factoid for me beyond that there's just all jack 
everywhere at this place. Like freaking everywhere. His face, articles about him, photos on the walls, a bust, like statues. It is Jack Nicholas everywhere. And maybe I should have known that based off of the name of the club, the Bears Club. He's the Golden Bear. But damn, that that's like my biggest takeaway is he is freaking everywhere. There. Well, and what it means that he is everywhere is that all these pros. So this is another thing about the Bears Club. All these pros that play there. That means that every time they walk through, they're reminded, okay, of the goat. This guy is the one who still yeah, owns you, the greatest champion who you, you can never quite get to. Well, and there were other things that were reminders of uh, the majors. Jack, yeah. obviously, 18 majors. He is leader in the clubhouse when it comes to most major championships and they hit you because every time you walk into the locker room, you walk in a different entrance. Yeah. Uh, so there, so there are four entrances or at least four sections. There's actually probably more than four sections of locker room, but the main locker room has four entrances. And before you walk in at the entrance is either us open, British open PGA or masters. And they have the years in which Jack won those of uh, uh, those events on like little gold plates. They got the photos of Jack winning those events. So you can't really even go there and put your golf shoes on without being reminded of Jack's major victories. There are other locker rooms, subset locker rooms. One is called tradition. Um, I don't know what the, the other ones are, but I know that basically you just bludgeoned over the head with Jack Nicholas. Whether that's good or bad, that's what you get there. Well, and let's talk about just walking around, looking at the names on these lockers. Um, we might get banished for even discussing, but no, you know, we've heard about the guys that are members there, you know, Ricky Fowler, what Rory DJ, it's almost more than that. It's, it's the number of guys who you've heard of guys that are decent PGA tour players, yeah. uh, whose names are also in the lockers Anirban Lahiri, Patrick Rogers. Yeah. Alex Norin, Alex Cheka were right right next to each other um jordan Ebergy, who's not even a pga tour pro is a name that i recognize because he hails from wisconsin and i've talked to him a handful of times about coming up from wisconsin but he is a member there and i would just think that at least going into that day i did not think that jordan Ebergy either had enough money or was famous famous enough in the game to be a member there i'm sure you know there are different uh statutes of, of membership but yeah like players on top of players on top of players, ones that you would expect and many that you wouldn't. Yeah, and so there's a few dozen guys who are tour players there. Uh, there's another squad up at Medalist, which is a more of a, I don't know, golf-only, serious, really hard, brutal golf course where uh, where Tiger practiced out of. And then there's a few others. Uh, Floridian. Floridian, a bunch of guys play there. Tequesta, uh, Die Preserve. There's a few other places where tour players play uh, maybe a, a slightly smaller number or uh, just guys that are a little lower profile uh, old palm would be another one but it just really comes down to a handful of these courses field memberships from all these tour pros interesting the bears club said that all these guys are dues paying members they all pay to to be there so they are actual members but the other members i think they just love having them around yeah well maybe that's the thing if you if you make this like jack's place you make it a place that tour players want to come to be like Jack or, or it's like iron sharpens iron in which the best players in the world go to the place where the best players in the world are. And aside from that, you know, let's say you're someone like 
I don't know, maybe you're on Urban Lahiri and you kind of want to go to a place that you're not going to get bothered. He's maybe not famous enough to get really mm-hmm. bothered, but yeah. you, you want to go to a place that is conducive to, to elite talent and elite players. Like you don't want to go to a, a course where you're the best player there. Yeah, when he's at home, you know, wherever he grew up playing, he is the man at that course. At the Bears Club, he probably har- hardly even registers. Yeah. Uh, and a guy like Daniel Berger talks about growing up in this atmosphere. Actually. Yeah, he was at and the Die Preserve. Right? Talking his way into money games, being a, you know a caddy, working at golf courses, being 14, 15 years old. Talk about iron sharpens iron. If you're just around the game, it almost feels like a competitive disadvantage to not be playing yeah. out of these places because where are you going to get money games that are – you know, nearly as good or practice rounds or exchanging ideas. We were there uh, obviously for a reason, and that was to hang out with Brooks Kepka. Uh, and what I'm curious about is is your takeaway on that because you had not had any like one on one time around Brooks. Um, he's a guy that doesn't really give away one on one time to a lot of people, and so I was kind of more curious, having already had that with him, to see what your takeaway was uh, after your experience with with BK. Yeah, and I don't want to give away, you know, all our thunder from the upcoming <laughs> magazine, which you should definitely check out. Um, we've got a, a bunch of good Brooks content, but it was it was uh, interesting getting to hang out with him a little bit. It was he and his, you know, a few members of his small team were there. Um, well, I'll give him credit to begin with. He didn't have much of an entourage. No, he didn't. But this guy had just played the Dun uh, the Dunhill Lynx Championship. He flew back. Uh, from Scotland on Monday. He's meeting us on Tuesday. He said that he had woken up at two in the morning and couldn't get back to sleep on Tuesday morning. So he just stayed awake and he had like a bunch of PGA Tour stuff to do. He had a bunch of things going on and he gave us two hours worth of time. But I could just tell it, dude was probably yeah. a bit zonked. Yeah. He was very pleasant with us. I felt like he was... Um, you look, say that and you sound surprised. Yeah, because he does not go out of his way to uh, endear himself to the media, typically. Mm-hmm. This is a guy whose public-facing image is, you know, I'm here, but don't expect too much from me. I think that's been the rap with Brooks. I will answer your questions, but I won't be excited about it. And I think that in this setting, we were able to well, really you, because you sat down mostly with him, were able to to draw a little more out of him, partly because, you you know, I think he was prepared for this is a setting where he was getting to, to tell yeah. his story. But also, I think he just was in a comfortable position. You know, he knows you a little bit from sitting down in the past. Uh, it was interesting. He He's a more dynamic guy than has been portrayed. He's certainly still super underrated as a player because his stretch of golf and big events has been ridiculous. Yeah. Um, and he also was having more fun during the photo shoot than yeah. he could have just gone through the motions, whatever. But he, instead he was, you know, jumping around, trying different kicks and playing along with the photographer. And the, the, the best part of the photo shoot was when uh, the photographer who, who was a great guy, but doesn't really follow the day in day out storylines of golf told Brooks to like put it, put up his fists like he was in a prize fight. <laughs> yeah. Brooks was like, oh, I'm not sure this is such a great idea. Obviously referencing rumors flying around with, with DJ. Um, but that was awesome. He, overall, he had, he had a fun time with it. And uh, I am excited for you guys to, to read more about Sean's story with him because there's some insight that we got from him. Yeah. I wouldn't necessarily call it a story much of 
much more of like a Q and A Q&A back and forth. Uh, a piece. Yeah. A work. Uh, but you mentioned DJ. DJ was there. You know, this, he was there. We this, didn't see much of him. This was in close proximity to all of the, the stories that kind of came out of the Ryder Cup, be them true, false, or just rumor, whatever. Uh, DJ was there, and he did that that <laughs> BJ Tour yeah, you guys social video, those. social video with those two. Um, Brutal. Not the greatest. Cringeworthy acting but these guys aren't actors they're golfers it was so almost so bad that it was all right if you guys don't know what we're talking about they <sighs> dj presented brooks with the player of the year trophy and uh you should just go watch it but. yeah you'll, you'll check it out but i you know for me not that we needed it i really didn't need it but i think that kind of helps put this whole dj brooks thing to bed a little bit it's like the takeaway from all the initial reports is like oh my gosh brooks and dj got in a fight and these are the unnamed sources that are coming out of the the locker room that uh have incited this and then it was brooks denies 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 and dj just pretty silent he's not talking to anybody about it uh it just it felt like if there was going to be something substantial to it there would be more that would come out of it and it just wasn't i'm not ready to put it to bed but I'm because just, I think I'm something happened. I'm very over it. Though. I think there was some sort of confrontation. But, you know, when it comes to friends and competition, teammates, money, alcohol, who knows? It well, doesn't seem like it. Golf Week was reporting today situation. that. Golf Week was reporting today that it was Brooks actually defending DJ and making DJ back off of somebody else. Oh. So. The plot that, thickens. Yes, the plot thickens. And that's just the point here is that like clearly there was probably something that happened. But was it Brooks versus DJ? Brooks says no. Was it DJ versus someone else? Quite possibly. Was it all just like <laughs> fueled yeah. by the booze or the celebration or the fact that they got beat and they weren't feeling great about the golf they played? Probably some myriad of all these things. Well, here's two things about that because – it's so easy for the media to us included to take this storyline of, Oh, Brooks and DJ are friends. Look at that. Which is sort of what has happened with JT and Spieth. Yeah. Uh, but these guys really are, they, they haven't shied away. They from have it. not we talked to DJ <laughs> and right after the PGA championship, right after Brooks had won. And I remember you asked him, you know, do you get annoyed where it's like every time one of you guys does something good, the other one gets asked about it. And DJ was like, not really, dude. He's, He's like my best friend. He's, uh, you know, we hang out all the time. I, he wasn't bothered by it at all. The other day you were asking Brooks about the pillars of important people yeah. in his life. And boom, he went right to DJ said, this guy is hugely important to me. Yeah. So they don't shy away from it. So maybe that's why we were most very interested in it. But anyways, like I'm just over that story to begin with, unless there's something super salacious that comes out of it. I'm kind of over it. Well, salacious and substantive and, and something that we can back up. So stay tuned. But yeah, I, I don't <laughs> expect we'll be getting many more substantive details there. All but right. Someone else that was at the Bears Club yeah. that I want to talk about. The Bear himself. Yeah, Jack. Jack Nicholas was there. You, and uh, You talked to him briefly. I talked to him. We had a big day. You interviewed Brooks. I interviewed Jack. Uh, and I got to say, the guy was uh, a little gruff. I would say an introduction, <laughs> you know, this guy's been giving out interviews for decades. And I, I was asking for a, half him, a century. I was asking him a question of, Oh, can I ask you this? And he was like, nah, just ask me on camera. Ask me on. 
you know, the guy is, he's a pro. He's not going to waste a take. He's not going to waste a thought. So I asked him, boom, once the red light turns on, he was so engaging, you know, connecting with the camera. Yeah. Uh, warm, thoughtful, all these things. It was a pretty impressive performance because, you know, you could tell he's tired. He'd had a long day of meetings that morning. And here was just a, you know, another reporter shoving a camera in his face, asking for his time. I will say you were like incredibly gracious with your interviews, which I think just means that you are way too like. You want me to take down Jack? No. The Bears Club? But I think oftentimes when players are not like, super open with me right away or like clearly engaged by it i'm just like all right if you're not engaged i'm not engaged but you're you're very good <laughs> you at don't like, care i don't care <laughs> you're very good at engaging them well uh, that's but except you say that but still i guess that's a sign that that brooks ha, has been a little bit more open around you because i think that's what happens with fans and brooks it's like look brooks you don't care and why why would we care about you if you don't care about golf? Yeah, people have definitely held that mentality. So Jack was there, not just because it's the Bears Club, but he was there as a member of the World Golf Hall of Fame. And not only that, the World Golf Hall of Fame like voting committee, Yeah, um, which is 16 people. And he was obviously one of them alongside Mike Davis, Seth Waugh, um, Jay Monahan. Like all of a sudden their little delegation breaks and I'm sitting there in the hallway and Seth Waugh and Davis and Monahan come strolling through, I think to go to the bathroom or whatever. And I I overhear Seth Waugh calling Mike Davis, Mikey boy, Mikey boy. (laughs) I love that. And uh, yeah, it was just, it was very interesting. It's just like, these are the, uh, the big, the important people in the golf world deciding in that moment in the same building, who's going to be in the world golf hall of fame. This was almost literally a Knights of the Round Table set up because they were all just seated around this semicircle table doling out Hall of Fame votes. And I don't really feel great about that. The Hall of Fame is kind of a strange one to begin with, especially in golf, because there are so many different ways to contribute to the game of golf and to potentially be inducted into the Hall of Fame. Others, you know, the Baseball Hall of Fame has people that weren't players and has people that weren't superstars, but mostly it's superstars and then there's special exceptions for other people golf seems like it's much more of an eclectic random mix yeah in a good way and and like without a doubt a good way yeah um i mean you can just look at this year's group of five right and they're as diverse i think as you can probably get um you could probably become a little bit more diverse but you have men and women people from different walks of the game players who are champions people who are yes so in that sense it's great but I just don't know how I feel about having 16 people kind of vote on it. When you look at the other Hall of Fame standards for other sports, mm-hmm. you have far more than that. And 16 just is, a, for me, too small of a sample size where you can have a lot of friendships yeah. like it's catering to things. It's this whole clubby golf thing that, that people don't like for obvious reasons. And the fact that it's this small group of people just deciding something in the conference room at the bears club is is uh yes so i don't on brand for golf (laughs) very on brand for golf i just i don't particularly feel great about it that way um let's talk about the hall of fame here quick for a sec because so that's happening down in jupiter while we were there then the word comes out um the questions of tour confidential that we fielded this week like are these people all hall of fame worthy 
Like, are you really going to sit on your high horse and say that person's not Hall of Fame worthy? Because all these people that are finalists have had a phenomenal impact in the game. It's not just that they hit 500 home runs and had 3,000 base hits. It's that, you know what, they won a major and 15 tour events and they designed some of, you know, the, the best golf courses in America or things like that. It's just like it's so much harder to weigh on the impact of these people mm-hmm. and to quantify impact so that if you're a finalist, like in my book, you're kind of a Hall of Fame member. Well, how about traveling Joe Passa was the only one dissenting, throwing a little shade at Retief Goosen. Well, and I'll say this, beyond Joe Passov, someone else was texting me earlier today saying, I'd like to debate whether or not Retief Goosen. Wow. Two-time should, U.S. Open winner, Retief Goosen. Two-time U.S. Open winner. Um, there's a lot of people who have two majors. And I think the fallacy with the Hall of Fame is just that Fred Couples was let in with his one major, his one Masters, the 92 mm-hmm. Masters. Yeah. And that's kind of the the scapegoat that people go back to. It's like, God, well, if people keep going back. If Freddie got in, yeah. well, why don't we put so-and-so in? And like Tom Weisskopf has the mm-hmm. one major and just as many tour wins as Couples. Yep. He's not in, but he's designed plenty of great golf courses. And he's been in the broadcast booth and like he's been around the game and promoted the game and done all these things for the game he just doesn't have the freddie boom boom nickname and and the the green jacket that he goes back to every year well and what it comes down to is it's a lot easier to make the argument for people that are out being in than people that are once you're in it's it's weird to be like this person doesn't deserve to be in the hall of fame it's much weirder uh Eamon Lynch over at golf week wrote a piece about Mm -hmm. how look my favorite golf week writer the problem isn't that uh, these people got inducted. It's like, let's ha- have it happen sooner. You look at Peggy Kirk Bell was uh, inducted this year and two yeah. years after her death. This like, is a woman that was big time in golf for decades. She was born in 1921. There was plenty of time to, to do this. So I don't know, we need a little more urgency to uh, honor these people while they're still here. Yeah, it's just tricky. And that's why the whole thing about having 16 people weigh in on this there should be at least 16 women involved in the Hall of Fame selection committee. Like you said, it's just so on brand for the game of golf and its history. To, to have these guardians of the game. It's kind of yeah. like secret society type it's, feel. Exactly. Like, I think if you get more people, then you end up having this um, stronger sample size and selection. More is going to be better. It, that's just the bottom line. And I don't feel great about 16. But anyway, that's, that is... One thing we ran into down in Jupiter. Is More the- is better. Yeah, and, and here we are. We're, we're cruising around. This is where so much of golf news, at least in the off season, seems to center around Jupiter. Yeah, we were driving on the roads that Tiger got pulled over for his DUI at. Yeah. And we were like, it's true. oh we're shit, like, that's, that's right that, over in this area. This looks exactly corner. like that. Right. And uh, we wanted to go check out the woods. I'd been there before. This is Tiger's restaurant, but... You know, Ricky and JT had just been there the the previous week celebrating Tigers Tour Championship win. Sean had not been there. We ended up going twice back to back <laughs> nights just to make I, sure I was we got stoked. the full experience. I was stoked to go. Uh, we both flew in Monday night. I went and picked you up. We drove like further than we had to to get there. We wanted to hang out there. Um, great selection of TVs. Like it's it's a quality sports bar. Yeah, let's right? let's walk you through it. You pull into what seems to be a strip mall. And I know that I was since told that it is an upscale strip mall. Definitely an upscale <laughs> Florida strip mall. But 
you i kind of was hoping i i guess i was expecting to pull into a place with its own parking lot standalone a place with its own restaurant. setting it's so midwestern a place <laughs> a place that doesn't have something above it uh-huh but this is not the case you pull in and you drive by it and though they had valet across the street 20 yards away is a Tommy Bahamas. Yep. We got Chico's, Tommy <laughs> Bahamas. We which, got a few other restaurants right there. Which I was reminded by a local is why it's upscale. Like Tommy Bahamas is apparently upscale. Um, <laughs> I don't know if I tend to agree with that, but maybe I'm showing my wow. my New Yorker. Elitist. Yeah, Manhattan Wisconsin elite. <laughs> Sean Zuck. But yeah, that's what's across the street. And it's a little actually tucked away within the, the outlet mall. So you, do, you can't see it from the road. Maybe that's for the better. Uh, but it, it just, that gives me a little bit of a weird vibe. Um, the setting is about what I expected. I knew it was quote unquote an upscale sports bar and that's exactly what it is. Like yeah. it's, it's got some cool lighting and, you know, plenty of TVs and various areas where you can sit at the bar, you can sit at the standups, you can sit in the booths. Um, there's a couple of sectioned off areas. It feels more like a. Well, I don't know if this is true. I was going to say more like a restaurant than a bar, but I think my main point in that is this place doesn't look like it would ever get super rowdy. Like no. It will never get super loud, uh, at least in this current Can state. You imagine we were there sort of in the off season still. It's the still only October, time it but... could get super loud is if like they're watching Sunday at the Masters and Tigers contending. Yeah, totally. that's, the only, that's the only time. And maybe if that's the for the better. The man himself is in contention. That's for the better probably? Like, I don't know. For, that's the vibe that they want, I think. It's it is Tiger and that it's it's in control. Um you know, if you talk about visuals, you mentioned the TVs. It's an awesome TV setup. There's two sets of TVs. So you're, if you're sitting back from the bar, you've got your own row of TVs. If you're sitting at the bar, there's a second level of TVs like above the bar. So Yeah. No lack of visuals. Uh the bartenders and servers are are dressed pretty hilariously like they're it's like they're working at a, a pro shop or something. Oh, totally. No, they, they are they are wearing like your bag staff, outside staff attire, mm-hmm. whether it's the women or the men. Yep. You're wearing golf clothes. Nike athleisure golf clothes. No, Nike golf clothes. Yeah, no, it's not even athleisure. It's just like Nike Nike polos, Nike pants, yep. Nike uh skorts, like Yep. And Nike white belts. White belts <laughs> for the men. Uh these guys are wearing well, one guy was wearing full-on Tiger scripting red <laughs> red shirt, black pants. I wonder if that's a belt. specific role. Like, if you're wearing the red and black, yeah, like you're the manager that that's day. That's like the captain's or, armband that yeah. you wear in soccer. <laughs> I wonder if when he goes off shift, he has to like take his shirt off, give it to the next highest in command. Like, no, right, but they've man. they've definitely. I really hope they have it like scheduled out where it's like, okay, Jeff, you're on the. Uh, you're on the closing shift, and yeah, we've got you wearing red that day. <laughs> like you got to close it, it up. For you us. can imagine the the statement if then someone else wore their red shirt that day. It'd be like staging a coup. It'd be <laughs> like when Patrick Reed he wore what red and black against Tiger one of those years. Exactly. Uh, so beyond the scripting, that's take me that, to the menu. That's not that annoying to me. No, it's fine. You could do better. I just think maybe if you're gonna go like with Tiger scripting, maybe you go like two thousand. Or like 2001 where baggy like just sweaters baggy is all hell and like the the sleeves on the polos go beyond the elbow i like that um maybe you end up like i don't know the super baggy pants with like a belt that's too long and you could just have theme nights you know oh 
take you through because Tiger has had a pretty distinctive style every like three four years yeah. since he got on tour 99 Ryder Cup night and right now they're just stuck in I don't know what it it's like 2011 whenever he was rocking those white yeah. belts and yes. Nike talked him into wearing white shoes and white belts and yes these two-tone Nike shirts so I don't know there's something to it blade collar Thursdays there's something more alliterative <laughs> there but uh, uh anyway the menu yes so the menu is solid i will say it's solid i would say it's also probably a bit overpriced for my taste um i don't live in south florida i don't know what the typical price of things are in jupiter and yes we are expensing every damn thing but it just felt a little overpriced uh yeah do our accountants listen to this pod i hope not um but the best thing on the menu is actually on the dessert menu mm-hmm that's a tease. You talk about the bison burger <laughs> until then. I, I want to, yeah, let's, we'll get to that first. Let's go through, cause we were there two nights. what did we get for apps? We got some wings. Those were good. We got wings. Good, solid wings. Yeah. Buffalo wings, appropriate heat. And then I had the bison burger. I think it's hard to do wings well, Day but one. It, you can really screw it up and they, they were just fine. They were good. Yeah. They were not, uh, they were not exceptional. No, they were good. The bison burger was really good. Yeah. I had a really tasty burger with good uh, truffle fries on the side, and then the next night I had fish tacos with. Uh, we can't. We but hold on. The wings. The important part of the wings. What's that? Is that we dove into the wings. Oh, as the yes. apps. We dove like literally all dove about in. This just happened. These are buffalo wings, so our hands are getting all kind of crazy with spicy buffalo sauce. And our waiter comes by. And he's like, "Do you guys want the? Uh, you know, I'll I'll bring by some." some wet towels to, to help you clean up your hands. And he brings by these special warm rolled up wet towels. Yes, sir. He pulls them out of like a little bin with, uh, with a set of tongs mm-hmm. and then puts them in front of you. And then like waits until you're done. Yeah, it's he, like, basically puts it on like your a, hand. it's like an intercontinental flight in which, in which you're, you know, you're waking up and they give you like warm something to kind of like wash your face yeah. off. That's what it was for the wings, mm-hmm. which I absolutely loved. Haven't gotten that service anywhere. That's why you're paying 20 bucks for your fish tacos. Okay. So well, you might as well get the wings every time then. Um, I also got the, the Caesar salad and this, you know, just another thing that's hard to do amazing and mm-hmm. easy to fuck up. But that's on it you. was just fine. Because yeah. then when you get to dessert, that's where they go a little off the rails, which yeah. is a good thing. You remember it's a you know sports related bar. Uh, you see people walking around holding cotton candy. Yeah, that's cotton thing. candy is on the dessert menu, which is. I all hope right. they give you the hot towel treatment for the cotton candy too, because oh. talk about something where you need. Yeah, like you. What are, are people supposed to eat? Cotton candy with a fork? That's no, no. It's you, that would be sad. That, that would, would be really sad. piss me off. Actually, all right. Uh, but the best the best part of the menu, as I said, was on the dessert menu, and it is the s'mores casserole. Ooh. I think it's eleven dollars, it might be thirteen. But anyway, it is one hundred percent worth whatever mm-hmm. it is. It is a little tray, a uh, little like skillet actually, of ground up graham crackers topped yeah. topped with melted chocolate, topped with um heated up marshmallows. Mallow. And yeah. it's like billowing over the edges. Yeah. And then you you were given extra grand crackers to like dive in as if they were nachos. Right. So you grab your grand cracker, you dive in through the marshmallow into the melted chocolate and you bring it out and you basically treat it, like I said, like nachos. Best dessert I've had in my entire life. This was rich. This was a rich 
dessert we had gotten a second dessert also because i don't know we just got talked into <laughs> it we were balling out and we got we had these like donuts on the side which were tasty and the s'mores casserole we had to just do our best to take it all down but my god this is like a it's probably dessert for three or four yeah realistically we took it down though um, like true champions on the road. That was awesome. Our bartender was saying that she had been waiting to get it and waiting to get it, but it's not it's not one of those things where you can go grab a snack of it behind, you know, back in the kitchen while yeah. you're at work. She had to come separately, like with her sister. She's like, We're going to the woods for dinner and we're getting the s'mores casserole. Yeah, another thing she told us was that she'd been working there all summer. She'd only seen Tiger once. She's kind of hoping, you know, maybe this guy's going to show up at his bar it's under mm-hmm. his namesake. Yeah. And it hadn't happened. And then all of a sudden, the other day, she ran into Tiger, literally bumped into him in the kitchen. In the kitchen. I wonder what he's cooking. This was pretty funny because you hear stories of, you know, guys going there. Keegan talks about going there. Kevin Tway, you'll see at the woods. JT and Ricky put up pictures from there when they're celebrating like on the different weekly. stuff. Yeah. Um, so I was actually surprised that she hadn't seen him around more. TGR has an office right there, uh, his his foundation and his people, yeah. some of his people. Uh, so I do think he's there with some regularity, but what he's doing back in the kitchen, who knows? Um, let's go to a ranking real quick. From 1 to 10, what are you giving the Woods Jupiter? I'm I'm hauling in at a 7. and Wow. That's Does that seem high to you? Just a little high. Well, let me walk you through it. Honestly, I, I like the place, especially if I'm not paying, if the, if uh, we're on the company dime. So maybe that could be a slight demerit for, for cost. The main, you know, Florida just doesn't do it for me, to be honest with you. The strip mall thing, it takes away some of the character. Uh, once you're in the place, I'm into it. The TV thing, it, it did a pretty good job at being what it is, which is an upscale sports bar. You go to watch the game. You're gonna you know have what? two drinks there. You're not gonna into it. You're not gonna have, you're not gonna have seven Bud Lights at this place. It's not really one of those no. watering holes. No, we could. Maybe we will next time. Uh, but I'll say this: I was thinking six out of ten, and you not only half talked me into it, but the allure that you could see, you know, for golf fans that you could see Tiger Woods oh, show yeah. up, you could see JT show up, Ricky show up. How cool for is for golf that? fans? Yeah, it's probably a seven out of ten. All right, before we close, let's talk about the two courses, non-Jupiter. We've talked about enough Jupiter, non-Jupiter courses that we played in the yeah. past couple of weeks. It's just so nice when, you know, us being New York-based, it's hard to play that much regular golf. Uh, we talk about it all the time, think about it all the time. We don't always get to play that much, but right. we each came off golf weekends. Yeah, you played golf at... Rich Homie Harvest Farms. Rich Harvest Farms. <laughs> West of Chicago, Sugar Rich Grove, homie. Illinois. Uh, they hosted the D1 championships there a couple of years ago. I'd heard about this place, but I had not heard how friggin' bizarre it was. And you th- you think it's a bizarre place. Yeah, it's... Uh, well, let's start with the good. The, the golf course is really good. It can tip out at this Midwestern brawny 7,800 yards, oh, I think. Um, so you can play this thing all the way back. We luckily were not doing that. I was there for a uh, a charity function, and we played it more like 6,800. It was 38, 39 degrees when we teed off. Uh, a little bit of rain, a little wet. It's built on 1,900 acres. Is that yeah. a lot? I don't know what that Well, what that is. I think Marion is on maybe 75 acres. 
This is on what? like 2000. Okay. So See? there you go. Context. Yeah. You need a, you really need a golf cart to traverse this place. And, and it was good. That's a cool variety of holes, but it's really just this one guy, Jerry Rich invented the stock ticker, the rich homie, the stock ticker. Really? Well named Jerry Rich because he's now a, a billionaire. So every time you see, you know, that NASDAQ stock cruising around, he invented he gets, the technology. It's like two cents every time that happens. You know, we had 50 players the day that we were there. They said that was a super, super busy day for this wow. course. It's really just this guy's personal golf course that gets maintained by a, you know, an elite level grounds crew team yeah the locker room is is really cool um it's apparently supposed to give off augusta vibes and uh i suppose you would be the one to to tell and to, to, to weigh in on that bo jackson's a member out there he apparently goes hunting out there in the winter so there did, there's did a, all these augusta cool vibes? details the weird is just that it's it's at the end of the day if you're joining this club you're joining one guy's personal club it's yeah. not like you're joining part of a collective you are way outside Chicago, this quiet place. By the time we finished up our dinner, we were leaving. It was uh, dark. There's there's literally dozens of buildings on the property here, and there's maybe you know a half dozen employees still there, spread out throughout the whole place. It's just it gets a little creepy. Mm. Gets a little creepy. There's a Seems man cave in, in one of the buildings where. You know, there's this whole memorabilia setup, and there's, I was going down to go to the, just find the restroom in the dark, and there's this mannequin set up playing pool against <laughs> the pool table with this, and there's a, just so a you red were alone carpet. alone in this man cave? Alone in the dark with and this mannequin, man- and that is I, at that really point, creepy. I was like, all right, I've had a great day, I'm out. Jeez, did you go to the bathroom? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I went to the bathroom, I ran upstairs. Good for you. That is, okay, so that's weird. That's what right. I was waiting for you to get to. That's my Rich Harvest experience. You went to Denver. Yeah, I went to Colorado for a buddy's trip. Um, played at one course the entire time, three different rounds, Colorado Golf Club. Um, and I'm not one to always like come away hyperbolic in my ratings on places. Um, I think the greatest like experience I've ever had playing golf was at Pinehurst. Yeah. Um, this one was, was up there, though. Like It really was. Um, granted private club and I'm not a member. Mm-hmm. So, you know, generally you get, you get treated so well anywhere you go, but the people there were great. And I just kind of want to rave about the golf course because it's at elevation. I never played at elevation before. Um, we only played it at like 6,500 yards, which is not that long. No, especially you smoking at, it. Cause es- you, you hit the ball far. I went to like a driver fitting with you a couple of weeks ago. You can fly it. Shout out Titleist. 280 at sea level. Yeah, at sea level. So um, more so I felt it, the elevation change with irons. Um, You know, it's not like I'm trying to dial in my driver to only go a certain distance like you are your irons. But definitely um, what I was told is that if you compress the ball, you will hit it like one iron further. Mm -hmm. 15% is generally what people say. So it was... It would that that became true, but basically just the the various challenges of a bunch of three hundred and eighty yard holes. You yeah, know, they don't have to be long to challenge you. They just have 
the right things in place at 275 yards, at 300 yards, at 260 yards to make it difficult for every single player in your group. Mm -hmm. I hit the ball a good ways. One of my buddies was not hitting driver. He was hitting the ball. Uh, he was hitting five iron, four iron off the tee. And there are places where you can get in trouble at that length. And we were playing with another with our host, who is older than all of us by a factor of two. And so he's not hitting the ball as far as us, but there are places where he could get in trouble. So basically, like the the design of that place does not reward any type of player. And it does not punish any type of player. It specifically punishes and rewards people that are going errant and keeping it straight. And so was it tight? Were there No. It was not tight, but where it turned from fairway to rough to trash, so to say, mm-hmm. is basically like really wispy, but like beaten down and dried out grass. Like okay. basically it was more so fescue type stuff. It was wh- fescue, but like dried out hard land mm-hmm. so that you're not getting your iron under the ball. You're kind of spanking it off of that. So it is, you know, you can play from there. It is not going to penalize you to the point that you are taking a drop but it will penalize you to the point where you're not going to be able to get your ball to stop Mm -hmm. and so i played it prior to what was called the the paintbrush invitational college event where cal and oregon and wyoming were playing a false fall event they had cranked up the greens probably the fastest greens i played on this year and so that made the course even a little bit more difficult yeah all of that is to say that when the member told me that the difference between his handicap at his Southern Florida club and his handicap in Colorado is about four strokes. This one was harder. This one was harder. Interesting. But played at the same same yardage and actually played at elevation more difficult. Mm-hmm. So that was just uh, one of the better go- golf experiences I've ever had because you kind of went into it thinking, wow, I'm going to mash the ball. And it just really came down to you choosing the right club to hit it the right varying distances. And every time I pulled out a driver, I knew – hey, you could be in trouble here hitting from some heathery type of thick bush or some fescue, or you could be hitting from the fairway. And yeah. it all comes down to how you put the damn club face on the golf ball. I've seen where you hit driver, and uh, I would imagine fairway was only a, a small part of the equation. <laughs> you know, the timing of this is, is curious, actually, because uh, as I look back on my career as a professional golfer, where it all came to a close was about two years ago in October – uh, playing at Sun River, I believe it was called, in Utah, St. George, Utah hmm. area. Little mountain golf. First stage of Q School. Um, I did not make it through. This is the, the home course of one Zach Blair. I haven't really played much competitive golf since then. I recently haven't been playing on the, all that much golf, period. But, but in light of the drop zone, Sean and I's video show being sponsored by Gosling's, we are headed right after Thanksgiving, down to Bermuda, where we've been awarded a spot in the Gosling's Invitational. So this is a this is a professional golf event. It is. Uh, not exclusively professional, but it is professional. Who are the, who are the big names that played last year? Some AMs. Uh, one of the guys that was in it last year, who, who didn't end up winning, but was uh, Matt Pargiale, my boy from Massachusetts, who was the mid-AM champion. Yeah. Uh, played at the Masters, played at the U.S. Open, U.S.A.M., etc. I think this is a really good step for you because you and I 
I say we. I don't think the caddy should ever say we. I it think is the, we. I think if the player the player can say anyone, we, the, the caddy cannot say we. But you played uh, in a local qualifier for the U.S. Open. Shot seventy-seven. Yeah. Then ended up being six strokes shy. Not. It was not knew. a relevant score on the day. We um, didn't prepare very well. But there was there was next to no preparation on a course that we actually know really really well. Yeah. And and the unfortunate part is that that was kind of like your one shot. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of like going zero to a hundred, like trying to qualify for the U.S. Open, having right. not played a lot of golf. This is somewhere in between, and the qualification is out of it. You're going to get four rounds, not just one. Four rounds is so much golf. There's nowhere to hide in four rounds, 72 holes of stroke play. No, but you can say that about a lot of the people in the field. Mm-hmm. and That will be true for everyone. That will be true for everyone. And there is a little preparation involved here. I've played every golf course that we're going to play there. Yep. Not that I remember it's it. It's over like the- two golf courses in Bermuda. I've never been to Bermuda, but Sean's been there. Yeah. He's been scouting it. He's been. I didn't know it was a scouting mission at the time. Prepping mentally. There are going to be some players there that are more social players. We will be pure competitive mode, and the Goslings is going to be flowing at night, I yeah. think. So managing... Shout out uh, to Goslings in general for sponsoring. Um, but Managing yeah. consumption and recovery is, I think, going to be an important part of this, and also just hoping that we get a little more warm weather between now and then in New York so we can do a little training. I'm fired up. I'm hoping that we're going to... Uh, get down a bunch to take advantage of the true spec studio that is in the, the base of our Manhattan offices here. Yeah. we got I, simulators there, a lot of data, lots of data, which and, is important for club fitting and coming to terms with the fact that I don't hit eight iron the distance that I used to, oh, that really? I do in my mind. Oh, that's not good at all. Yeah. But see, it's important to be honest with ourselves here. <laughs> And this is going to be a part of it is like, all right, let's, let's dial in our real let's distances, figure it out. not our glory distances, you know, not, Hey, we're not trying to play here. I ball. can max out eight iron at 190 yards. I can't do that. No, no, no. one. No. DJ can. DJ can. You can't. I, I cannot do that. How many people can? I cannot. So, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll have a bunch of prep. We'll build some content around preparation for this. Uh, but I actually am, am super excited i don't want to embarrass the hell out of myself so i want to play some golf between now and then all right well that's up to us um thanks for for listening we talked far too much about our own golf game but i know that's once in a while intriguing to other people um but stay tuned for the gossens invitational because you're gonna go low and you can say that we will go we're going low we are going somewhere